The following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us online at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday mornings at 9, 1030, or 12 in Pembroke Pines, Florida, or online at westpines.org. Hey, good to see all of you today. So delighted to join you in worship this morning. If you're new to West Pines, we're so glad that you're here. If you're joining us online or on campus, thank you for being here. My name is Frank, one of the pastors here at West Pines, and it really is a privilege for me to bring God's Word to you, to share and open God's Word with you this morning. So during the summer, you've known that we've been walking through this series all summer long called Hello Summer, a series of fruit of the Spirit, those qualities, those traits, those things that God grows in his people. That's what we've been walking through week by week, and we've seen this tremendous list. These are things that we pray for. These are things that we ask God for. These are things that we want as part of our lives. I mean, think about that list of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and all of those. So week in and week out, we've studied and we've looked at each one of these, and we have seen the radical and beautiful nature of who God is and of what God does. These are the things that God grows in the lives of those who love him. And as we looked week in and week out, and we've seen all of them, we get to this one today, and and i I got to be honest with you, I I don't know who would have thought of including this one on that list, including this one, the most unlikeliest of qualities, the most unlikeliest of strengths on this list of virtues. Before we get there, though, let's take a moment to ask God to help us grab hold of today's great truth. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful today, thankful that we have the privilege and the opportunity to gather, to to learn, to grow, to be challenged, to be stretched by your word. We pray, Lord, that you would unstop our ears and that you would open our eyes, that we would both hear and see the truth that you want us to walk away with. Lord, that we wouldn't be just hearers, but that we would be doers of your word. Father, so much so that it would change us. We would leave here different than when we got here. Lord, we ask all of this simply because you love us. We thank you for loving us this way. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Are there any cab drivers here today? Fantastic. Years ago, um, my wife and I decided to take the kids to New York City. Um, Super excited about that. That's right. Big, big city, big lights, big attitudes, all of that. We were excited to take our kids back to where daddy was born, to where mom and dad lived when they were little. Um, You know, the hallowed grounds of Yankee Stadium and uh, subway graffiti and the hot dog carts, right? You guys, dirty water dogs, you guys know? All right, a couple of you know. I mean, if you've ever gotten one of the pretzels from those dudes in Queens, fantastic. Just really, really good. So we were excited to take our kids to New York City. And what we did on day one was we decided we were going to hail a cab, get a cab in Midtown Manhattan. Now, I know, I know, but but day one, I I don't think my family was ready for the subway experience just yet. So we got a cab, and uh, it'd be fun, right? Cab in the city with kids. It was fun. Did any of you ever ride the Hulk at Universal Studios? Yeah, yeah, I didn't ride that one, and there was a reason why I didn't do that, okay? Um, we, we got into this cab, and, and all four of us piled in the back, and my daughter's on my lap, and Ian's kind of in between my wife and I. And um, let me tell you, the, the, the rate of speed that this guy was traveling, and the turns, and the screaming at the windshield, it was all a hair-raising, scary experience altogether. And, and we're sitting there. My daughter's in my lap, and at this point, she's, she's starting to turn colors, right? So, so I say to the dude, listen, buddy, would you mind just slowing down as you bob and weave in and out of traffic? He didn't even hear me. And he just, just kept going. Um, so I said, look, man, uh, she's turning colors. Would you mind slowing down? I think he sped up at that point. I mean, not mild, not gentle. We weren't even being safe at this moment. So I said, listen, buddy, she had pancakes for breakfast. This is going to get ugly. 
Well, I guess that got his attention. We pulled over to the side, came to kind of a screeching halt. And, and uh, I step out of the cab. I've got one foot in the cab and one on the sidewalk. And I'm holding my daughter, just trying to get some fresh air, normal color to her face. I look back at the driver. He's just sitting there slumped over. He kind of leans back and grunts. He goes, yo, it's your meter, bro. Just like no mildness, no kindness, just pushing forward. So we jump back in the cab. We get to our destination, all right? albeit sick to our stomachs, but we do get to our destination. And I can't help but think that, you know, there, there had to be, there was a better way to achieve the exact same thing, you know, minus the life-threatening circumstances, but, but better way to achieve that with, with a bit more gentleness and a bit more kindness. Now, I don't know how often you and I, I don't know how much we think about gentleness. I mean, just think about that for yourselves. How many times in your life do you, do you think about, you know what I just need? I need a, a gentle, that's what I need, a gentle spirit. Like, how many times have you had that conversation with yourself? And we go through life, and we come across seasons and times where our lives are just like this cab ride. I mean, always pushing and pressing, struggling and striving, surging ahead and inconsiderate, unkind, unrelenting, and, and God forbid, we no gentleness at all. And now we, maybe we don't think about it that way, and maybe we don't frame our lives like that. But the more it's like, man, as long as I get mine, my way, my rights, my needs, when I want it, how I want it, me first, as long as we get that. And now we arrive at this list, this incredible list of virtues, this list of, of traits and qualities that reflect who Jesus is. We get to this list, and we get to near the end, and we come across this one, gentleness the most unlikeliest of strengths, the most unlikeliest of characteristics on that list, gentleness. Now, as we've looked from week to week at the different attributes, at these different qualities, we looked at love and joy and peace and all of these, we said, man, love, man, this, is, this agape love is powerful. Joy and peace, those are so rewarding. Patience is so fulfilling. And then we come to gentleness, and we're like, why is this one even here? Like, all right, so what does this get me? And here's the question that we're going to struggle with together this morning. What is it about gentleness that actually makes me strong? And why should I care about it anyway? I mean, that's, that's part of the issue. We're just not interested in it. We just don't, we don't really care about a gentle spirit, about a kind heart. We, we just don't really care. I mean, Nike hasn't put that on a t-shirt yet, right? Just be gentle. I mean, you haven't seen that floating around, have you? Our culture, our community, the world around us, I mean, doesn't think like this doesn't talk like this because it doesn't care. And it doesn't care perhaps because it doesn't understand. And we misunderstand and we misapply gentleness. And the Webster's Dictionary, the 1828 version of Webster's Dictionary, defines gentleness as the sweetness of disposition, mildness of manners even. And part of the point here is that it's, it's so much more than manners. It's, it's so much more profound, far, far, far deeper than just please and thank you. See, Paul doesn't include this virtue on that list because it's just a good idea for good behavior. And Jesus doesn't emulate this in his life at every turn because his mom and dad taught him well. No, no, no. Gentleness is the unlikely attribute of the strong. And stick with me because you're going to see that it is gentleness that is a strong hand with a soft touch. A strong hand with a soft 
Now, as we've looked uh, throughout this series, you know that we've anchored this study in Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5 contains the list that's called the fruit of the Spirit. So why don't we turn there first? That'll be our first stop this afternoon. Uh, It'll be on the screens for you, but you will also see that in your New Testament. Galatians chapter 5. While you're making your way there, if you're new to the study, let me just refresh your memories just a bit. Galatians chapter 5, Paul writes two lists. He, 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 under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he writes two lists, a list of the works of the flesh, the vices and the violence of the world, that list of works. And he contrasts and, and opposes that list with a list of virtues, a list of, of the works of the Spirit. These are the things that God is doing, that God is building, that God is growing in the lives of people who love him. Paul contrasts and opposes those two lists. And what we're going to do today is we're spotlighting this one gentleness. Now, near the end, we're spotlighting that, and that's found in verse 23 of Galatians 5. Now, this gentleness, I would also want to mention to you that this one attribute opposes the entirety of that other list of the works of the flesh. Everything that's on that list, this one gentleness is in opposition to that, and that's important. So if you're in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, we're just going to spend a moment there to, um, to anchor the, the study, and then we're going to move on. Um, it says, Paul writes in Galatians chapter 5, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, verse 22, for the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and in verse, faithfulness, and then in verse 23, gentleness and self-control. Against such, there is no law. So we're going to focus in on this one, gentleness. And the word that Paul uses here is important. The original language written in the Greek, the word that Paul uses is prautes. Now that word has with it, generally it's translated as meekness. Generally it's translated as um, a mildness of disposition. And now this is important because we see this undercurrent throughout the entire New Testament that um, this mildness, this, this meekness, this um, uh, mildness of disposition. We see that throughout the New Testament. In fact, Paul writes this letter, but he also writes other letters. And he writes to the church at Ephesus, for example. And to the Ephesian church, Paul will say, treat them, be kind to one another. Tenderhearted, the truth of gentleness there. Paul will write to a young pastor by the name of Titus. And he'll say to Titus, Titus, remind them to be gentle. Paul will write yet to another young pastor named Timothy. And he'll tell Timothy, Timothy, when you oppose those who are against you, when you correct those who oppose you, when you correct even your enemies, those who are in opposition to you, you must do it in gentleness. So this is thematic throughout the New Testament. And now this gentleness, this is different than what the world sees. This is different than than how the world reacts and and oftentimes even how some Christians see gentleness. This is different because what what the world does, what our culture does, it confuses gentleness and meekness with weakness. I mean, if you're gentle, you're soft. You're weak, you're frail, you're fragile, you're easily broken. But you're gonna see that that Jesus shows it's quite the opposite. It's quite the opposite because it it is the strong hand that must be gentle. Gentleness is not an attribute of the weak, but an attribute of the strong. A weak person cannot be gentle because gentleness is an attribute of the strong. It is a strong hand that needs a gentle touch. So dads out there, if you've got sons or if you've got boys, um, I used to play a little game with my son, and maybe you guys have played the same game with uh, your young men, your little boys. Uh, It's a simple game. It's called, hey, dad, let me punch you in the arm and see if it hurts. 
Yeah, all right, so some of you played that. Awesome. So when my son was little, um, it was great. I mean, he'd play, punch me in the arm and bounce off. It, would, it was fun, and we had a good time. I'd flick him. He'd roll over the couch. We had a great time. But when they turn about 16, yeah, yeah, you don't want to play that game anymore. Find a new game, right? My, my son punched me in the arm so hard one time, my contact flew out. Uh, <laughs> not really. I don't wear contacts, but he hit me really, really hard, and it really, really hurt. When my daughter was little, she would, um, she would squeeze my hand, like, like she would squeeze, squeeze, squeeze. She'd take both hands. She would squeeze and trying to cause me pain. I don't know what that's about. But she would squeeze with all of her strength and all of her might. She'd try and squeeze, squeeze, squeeze my hand, and it would never hurt. I mean, she could never cause me any pain. She didn't have to worry about being gentle because she lacked the power to cause pain. So I would, every once in a while, reach out, and I'd grab her hand. And I would just, just the tiniest, tiniest little squeeze. She'd go, ouch, 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 daddy, stop. It is the strong hand not the weak one that must learn to be gentle. It is the strong hand, not the weak one that must learn to be gentle. And that brings us to Jesus. Our second stop today, we're going to be in the gospel of Mark. So what we've done throughout this series is we've taken episodes and events in the life of Jesus that demonstrate the fruit, the virtue that we're talking about. So if we said that all of these fruits and all of these virtues display the character of Jesus, then, then we should find them apparent in his life. And that's exactly what we find in Jesus's life. So Mark chapter 5 is where we're going to stop. Um, so you can find it on the screens. Also in your Bibles, the second gospel in Matthew, Mark. Um, we're going to be in chapter 5. Let me just build some frame of reference for you as we, as we get into this gospel. Mark is the um, traveling uh, apprentice, if you will, the, 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 the apprentice to the apostle Peter. So Peter, who was the eyewitness to the life of Jesus, wrote down and or actually he told Mark the things that happened, what Jesus did and what Jesus said, and Mark faithfully wrote them down. So as the Holy Spirit brought back to Peter's remembrance the things and the life of Jesus, he would tell them to Mark, and Mark faithfully wrote them down. So we have a, a very vivid and a very faithful gospel, a very vivid and powerful picture of the strong hand and the soft touch of Jesus. Mark's gospel is nicknamed the action gospel because what we see in rapid-fire succession is, is Jesus did this and, and said that. He went here and said this. We see that as the landscape of Mark's gospel, more so than some of the others. So it's, it's an action-packed gospel. I would also say to you that, that part of Mark's technique in writing is something called a sandwich technique. Where, where he would begin a story, begin an event of Jesus' life, he would bring it to an abrupt pause, then introduce a brand new story, finish that one, and then go back to the first one. I bring that up to you to say this because where we're going to be in Mark chapter 5 is exactly that. There are two stories there. Now, we're only going to concentrate on one of them. We're only going to focus in on one, but there are two stories there, and that's the reason why. That's part of the technique that Mark writes with. So if you're all in Mark chapter 5, meet me there. I'm going to start reading in verse 21. Mark 5, verse 21. And when Jesus had crossed again into the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him. And he was beside the sea. And then, then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. A great crowd followed him and, and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was not any better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. 
For she said, if I even touch his garment, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving, perceiving himself that power had gone out in front of him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, and you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around and to see who had done it. For the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. And while he was still speaking, he came from the, ruler, came from the ruler's house, one who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, and the brother of James. And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw another commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And he had entered and said to them, why are you weeping? Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. So we see now in verse, there's two stories there. I mean, there's, we can easily see that there's two accounts there. There's the, there's the, the desperate ruler and the diseased woman, and, and both of them um, have uh, similar characteristics, and they, they parallel each other in this, that both of them have run out of options, and both of them have run to Jesus. So we're going to look in verse 21 and in verse 22 at the story of Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue and see what happened. In verse 21 and 22 that we just read moments ago. Now, we've learned something about Jairus in this passage, but look with me. Verse 21, and when Jesus had crossed into the boat the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he had beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet. I mean, the desperate dad here, comes, and, and Jairus, Jairus is an interesting character. He's a ruler of the synagogue, so he's a rich man. He's a powerful man. He's a well-respected man, and he's a desperate man. And this is quite a unique scene because, because he comes, he finds Jesus, and he falls at the feet and begins to beg this itinerant preacher, this roaming rabbi, if you will. In fact, quite a scene, is it? I mean, this, this isn't typical of what a, a synagogue ruler would do. He comes to Jesus, and he's not ashamed. He's not embarrassed. He doesn't send his servant to do it. He does it himself. And we understand that, don't we? I mean, as parents, uh, we, we, we see that and we, we understand that, that this is the re- responsibility of a father. That to go to whatever length, to, to carry out whatever actions, to, to indignify himself to whatever degree, to find health and healing and, and, and to save his daughter, that's what he does. And we get this because as parents, if you're parents, and one day you will be parents, and, and I'm a parent, I mean, there are a few things in life that make you come and your whole family to a screeching halt that stop you dead in your tracks other than a sick or a dying child. So in verse 23 of that passage, the ruler comes and he falls at Jesus' feet and we see that he begs him, he implores him, the texts say. Jairus, the, the desperate father, comes to Jesus and basically says, man, my daughter is as good as dead. Come, please come. Please come and help her. You can heal her, you can save her. And Jesus obliges and goes with him. Now, we learn something really important about Jairus here. We learn that that Jairus knows Jesus has power. 
We, we see and we learn that, that Jairus knows that Jesus can do something about the circumstances and the condition of what's happening in his life. He sees hope in Jesus. So much so that he puts his leadership on the line. He puts his reputation on the line. And he invites this, this what some would have called a, a troublemaker, a rebel preacher, invited him to his house. That's what we see happening in verse 23. Now, at this point in the story, Mark here now makes that abrupt stop in the first account, and he brings that to a close, and he introduces this new story about the diseased woman. So what we're going to do is we're going to skip over that, and we're going to circle back around to verse 35, where Mark now picks back up the story of Jairus the ruler. So we're going to step over that story, and we're going to deal with Jairus only. So look with me then at verse 35 in the text. Just drop your eyes down, verse 35. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house someone who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? So here Mark resumes the story, right? He picks it back up. Jesus is in the middle of finishing that discussion to a woman who is now no longer diseased. He's finishing that conversation. And while he's doing that, somebody comes from Jairus' house and announces, kind of blurts out to everybody, hey, Jairus, your daughter is dead. We don't, we don't really need him anymore. So, I mean, I, I don't, this, is, this is an interesting scene. We don't know what's going through Jairus' mind and Jairus' heart at the moment. But, but, but if you sit in that for a moment, recognize that, that Jairus was just begging Jesus. Jesus had just agreed to go with him to their house to, to heal his daughter. Jesus, you, 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 you said you were coming. Why, why, why didn't you Why didn't you come? Why, 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 did, why wasn't it me first? Why didn't you take care of me first, my needs first, my wants first, and then go handle that? Why did you do that, Jesus? Why did you walk away? Why did you get distracted? Why didn't you take care of me first? Now, granted, at this point, we don't know. Scriptures don't elaborate on, on what Jairus is thinking and what he's feeling at that moment. But, but you and I can, can imagine the wave of sadness, the, the, the tsunami of heartbreak. At the announcement, at the words that my daughter is dead. And we see the struggle. Maybe even the apostles there. Maybe even the disciples were like, yeah, I mean, you know, we got distracted with this over here. And then now his daughter's dead. So why are we even going to go over there? And, and, and we see this, this pushback. And, and we don't know what's going on in Jairus' mind. But, but man, where's the kindness there? Where's the gentleness there? Why did you take care of my needs first? I was here first. Then go back and take care of that. But in the meantime, you go handle that and my daughter dies. And it's at these crucial moments, that these moments in our own lives and in our own families, in our own walks, that, that we get to places and things happen and things come up and, and we're like, wait, 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 wait. Wait, why not, why not me first? Where we push and we pull and we strive and we surge forward. It doesn't matter who we step on at this point, but, but, but take care of my needs first. What I want, when I say, how I say, in the manner in which I like it. Me first. And we struggle right there. We, we handle our, our work and our businesses that way. Talk to our families like that. We, we, maybe we treat our children and our spouses with no gentleness, no kindness, no, no mildness of any kind. And Mark here is building the audience. Mark is, is preparing the reader for an unparalleled act of power and a tremendous, glorious display of gentleness. 
That's what Mark is doing, preparing the way. So look with me at verse 36 and the rest of that passage, starting in 36. But overhearing what was said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And he followed, and, 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 and no one followed him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and beyond. So, so we see almost Jesus' response here, at least from our perspective, almost seems absurd. It almost seems a little insensitive. I mean, Jesus, she's, she's already dead. Like there's nothing left. And Jesus literally is saying, stop fearing, continue believing. That's literally what he said. And, and, and maybe at this point, Jairus throws his hands up in the air in frustration. I mean, there's, it's over. There's, there's nothing left. I thought Jesus could help, but. And Jesus is looking at Jairus and saying, you came to me because you believed that I could help. I can and I will. You only need to continue believing. And now this is, this is the undercurrent of all the New Testament. Jesus calls not only the Jairus, but Jesus calls uh, in the New Testament the weak and the weary, the sick and the depressed, the, the discouraged and the downtrodden and the outcast and the spiritually dead. He calls them all. And he says the same thing to them that he says to Jairus. Do not fear, only believe. And that hasn't changed. Because he says the same thing to you and to me today. With whatever it is you've brought with you, with whatever fear you may be carrying, with whatever uh, discouragement is weighing you down, Jesus says the same thing. You need to stop fearing and continue believing. Stop fearing and continue believing. And now Jesus walks into the home. So, so he leaves one crowd. He just got rid of one crowd. And all of a sudden now he finds himself in front of another. So basically he casts off that crowd, all the naysayers and the crowd goers and, and all the followers and groupies. He kind of casts them away. He brings with him his inner circle, as it were, Peter, James, and John, and Jairus, and they head off to Jairus' house. Now when he gets to Jairus' house, he's confronted with yet more commotion. He sees the weepers and the wailers and the people crying and mourning outside. And he says, I mean, why are you crying? Why are you weeping? The girl's not dead. She's only sleeping. Now, once again, from our perspective, this sounds kind of insensitive. Like, these people know a dead girl when they see one. I mean, this is why they hired professional mourners. They had criers. They had people weeping because the girl is dead. But Jesus is using this term, as he's done in the past, he used this term sleeping figuratively for death. So uh, what he did at that point is, and then he, every, they, they laugh at him. They literally mock him. The Greek there is they, they mock him. So, so he kind of kicks them out. It's not even his house, but he kicks them out, and he keeps with him, Peter, James, John, mom, and dad, and they head off into the room of the dead girl. So sit under the weight of the story for a moment. Where the, the weepers and the wailers are on the outside. The, the, the discouraged and the defeated parents are on the inside. The apostles are there. They probably don't even know what they're still doing there. And, and Jesus then um, does what he's done in the past. Now, the whole situation looks hopeless. looks pitiful, doesn't it? It looks dreadful, doesn't it? And we're not so crazy to think that. It's not crazy to see it that way. Because there are times and seasons where sick children don't get healed. The pain doesn't go away. The memories do not fade. It's not just going to be okay. And this is precisely where God does his best work. 
Because he's right there. It's, it's at all times and everywhere. The end result, the outcome, is in the hands of God. Not ours, but his. It's in God's hands. He only asks us to stop fearing and continue believing. And then Jesus does what we've seen him do in the past. He, he comes close to this girl. He comes near to her. With mom and dad there and the apostles there watching, everybody else kind of outside laughing or doing whatever they're doing. He's in the room and he comes close and he extends his hands and he reaches out. The hands that, that, have, that have created and destroyed. The hands that have, that have, that have um, helped and hurted. The hands that have, that have been able to, to crush and have been able to comfort. The hands that have um, made the blind see and, and, and the lame walk and now so much more. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the mountaintop. This is the summit right here. This is, this is power and gentleness. This is the power of God and the gentleness of the Savior fusing together. This is the portrait of gentleness. This is the Savior Jesus. He approaches that girl. He grabs the hands ever so softly of this dead girl. And tenderly he says these two words. Talitha kumi. And Mark translates that for his Roman audience then and for us today. Little girl, I say to you, arise. The pinnacle of power. And the gloriousness of, 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 his, of his gentleness, all wrapped and seen in that moment right there. And this is not the only time that we see Jesus do this in the New Testament. But in this moment, the power, the girl gets up and walks. Great power and unbelievable gentleness. Jesus steps in. God, in that situation, steps in. God invades that space. He steps into the discomfort. He just steps into the uncomfortable space. He steps into the difficulty. He steps into the, the, the problematic situation with power and with gentleness. And for some here today, whatever situation you have, whatever, whatever has just been brought to your mind, I mean, God has the ability to step in. Jesus can intervene in that space with great power and great gentleness. You need only the strong hand and the soft touch of the Savior. We need to stop fearing and continue believing. And this, too, is the undercurrent in the New Testament. This, too, we see throughout the New Testament. As this Paul writes to, to, uh, to these churches, and he writes to these other places, and he tells them this very same current of gentleness, this very same current of, of the Savior Jesus. And see, this is, this is our difficulty. Our, our challenge with this, our problem with this, is that we confuse gentleness and meekness with weakness. We see gentleness as being soft, weak, frail, fragile, easily broken, easily ruptured, all of those things. And Jesus has shown us just the opposite. So we just took this one incident in Jesus' life, but I'm sure you can come up with many. Think about Jesus in the garden. Think about the, the troops that approach him with clubs and swords and torches. And Peter pulls out his sword and cuts the ear off the servant. And Jesus says to Peter, put your sword away. Can I not call my father with 12 legions of angels? Power under constraint. Power under control, gentleness in his hand. He allows himself to be arrested and taken and beaten and suffered and hung and died. Great power, great gentleness. Throughout the New Testament, we see it. 
you and I, we confuse it too, and the world confuses this too. We see, and we can try real hard. We can try real hard to be gentle. Now, now I know, I know, I mean, when disaster strikes over here or violence breaks out over there, this kind of language bubbles to the surface. But by and large, we are devoid of gentleness in our spirits. And, and, and like I said, you can try real hard at this. You can hold your breath for 10 seconds and, and hope for it. You can pull out the mat and get your yoga on. But at the end of the day, it's the gospel. At the end of the day, it is, it is the work that God does, the fruit that God grows, the gospel that's alive in the hearts of people. It is, in that way, you will find gentleness. In that way, you will find peace and love and joy and all of these things on that list. Apart from Jesus, apart from the gospel, it does not exist. It is a failed hope. It is a temporary joy. It is a momentary peace without Jesus because it is his strong hand and his soft touch that grows that in us. And we see that, that, that in, it, it, Jesus, this is the calling of the New Testament. That, so Paul writes in Galatians, but he also writes to another church, the church at Philippi. And he says, I mean, this is what God has called us all to, to the church at Philippi. He says, man, let, let everyone see let everyone know your gentleness because the Lord is at hand. I mean, let everybody see it. Let everybody know it. I mean, those who identify with Christ, those who are followers of Jesus this morning, these are the fruit, these are the things. Well, what's God doing in my life? This is what he's doing. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. And next week you will see self-control. These are the things that God has worked at work in the lives of people. This is not what you do. This is what God does. And all of them reflect who Jesus is. And, you know, as I wrestled with these questions and as I, as I wrestled with this on my own, as I looked through it, because whether we know it or not, we all struggle here. All of us do. Some are willing to admit it and some are not. But we all struggle here. And there were some questions that I wrestled with. And now I don't want to have all the fun, so I want you to wrestle with these questions too. So I brought these four questions for you. They're going to be on the screen. You can write them down, take a picture of the screen, whatever you want to do. But ask yourself these questions. Wrestle through these questions. They might be painful, and it'll be okay. Question number one. Am I gentle when I don't get my way? I mean, it's easy to be gentle when everything's going dad's way. It's easy to get what you want when things are, things are going the way you want them to go. But can you be gentle and mild and kind when things are not going your way? I don't know. Can you? Look at question number two. Am I harsh, aggressive, brutish even with my family? Yes, some of these questions are drilling down a bit. And they're hard, I know. But it's worthy for us to ask them. This is the character of Christ. And look at question number three. Am I gentle with how I treat others? The waiter, the waitress, the bank teller, other people in your circles. Are you gentle with them? Even after you've had what you needed? Even when you don't need something, are you gentle with them? Question number four. Am I becoming increasingly kind? Or am I becoming something else? We're all growing, one way or another, for better or for worse, more like Jesus or less like Jesus, but we're all growing. Are we becoming more like him in gentleness, or are we not? Take these with you 
Hold on to them during the week. Reflect on them. Pray through them. Ask God to help you with these. Let us not be just hearers of the word today, but let us be doers. Let this word sit in you in such a way that it changes you. It does no good for you to hear it, leave, and forget about it. Take these words, take the scriptures, and let them weigh on you. In that way, you will grow. In that way, you will grow to be more and more like Jesus. And here in the New Testament, one of the most moving, kind-hearted, and loving calls you will ever hear. Jesus calls the crowds then, the crowds today, the people then, the people now. He calls and he says, come. Come, because we look for this gentleness, we look for these things, we, we, we struggle and strive and fight and, and push to be first, to get ahead, to go first, to be number one, to get my needs met. And Jesus says, wait, 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 come. Come to me, all of you. All of you who are heavy laden and burdened. Take my yoke upon you, for it is light. It is easy. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly at heart. And you will find rest for your souls. Do you want rest? Do you want this peace? Do you want this joy? Do you want this love? Do you want these things that we've been talking about? Because apart from Jesus, you cannot have them. They are the things that God does. For some of us this morning, this invitation is also a reminder for those of you that are followers of Jesus, for those of you that have trusted in the life-saving death, the sin-absorption death and the resurrection of Jesus, for those of you that put your faith and trust there, this is a reminder for you today to stop fearing. Continue believing. Because it is Jesus' strong hand and his soft touch that you need. And for others, this invitation to come may be the first time that you've heard that invitation. Because Jesus calls, the New Testament calls, we, man, we beseech you, we, we encourage you, we implore you, come. Come and find that peace. Find that rest. For your burdens, for everything that weighs you down, you bring that to Jesus. And the great exchange takes place. He takes your burden and gives you rest. How awesome is that? So for some today, ladies and gentlemen, this is a holy moment for some. For some today, this will be the first time that you respond to this call to come. That you respond to, to what it is, the, the gentleness found in the gospel, because there, there is where gentleness is found. I mean, we know the harshness, and we know the fierceness, and we know the love of the gospel. Recognize this, as fierce and as ugly as it is, it's just as beautiful and gentle. Because it is through that ugly cross it is through that sacrificial, difficult death that God is gentle to you and gentle to me. It is Jesus who absorbs that sin. It is Jesus who pays the penalty that you and I deserve. It is him who takes the lashes. It is him who takes the penalty. It is him who sits on the cross naked, ashamed, and mocked. Him for you, for me. That harshness for your gentleness found in the gospel. And this call to come is a call to come to that gospel. It's a call to come and recognize the hope, the peace, the love, and the gentleness that's found in Christ. So we're going to close our services now in a time of prayer and a moment of worship. And I would ask all of us to bow our heads and close our eyes, and we're going to pray. Now, this prayer doesn't save you, 
but the confession of your mouth that Jesus is Lord and the belief in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, the scriptures say that saves you. So those of you that, that reach out, that want to respond to this call to come, you can pray this with me. Father, man, I, Jesus, I need you. I want this peace. I, I don't have this. I don't have this gentleness. I, I want the gentleness of, of your strong hand and your soft touch. I, I need this. I, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I turn from all of that, and I come to you and ask you to save me. I trust in what you've done on the cross. I thank you for paying for my sin, paying for my rebellion, loving me the way you do. I need that. I want that. I accept it. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at westpines.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, please call at 954-432-0321. Or you can email us at podcast at westpines.org.